Well, good morning. It's great to be here. I love being in church. It's wonderful to see you all. Now, put up your hands, those of you who remember going to Sizzler. That's great. If, you are, if you're under 15, you may not know about Sizzler, but I used to love going to Sizzler. My family always went to Sizzler. There aren't that many of them around anymore. There's still a couple, but I think a lot of them went bankrupt. It's hard to have a viable financial model when you're dealing with all you can eat. Some people take that seriously. Uh, so we used to always go to Sizzler, my family, when I was younger. And so for those of you who don't know how Sizzler works, it's, as I said, all you can eat. Unlimited amount of pasta and pizza and garlic bread. And the thing which I loved the most was unlimited soft serve. Who remembers the soft serve? Great. Got my people here. I used to love going back. I would go two, three, four times back for more soft serve with different toppings and different flavorings. And every single time that we drove home from Sizzler, I was always overfull. I'd always sit in the back of the car, sort of holding my stomach, regretting all of my life choices, thinking I'm so full. And I would always say to myself, I'm never going to eat again. I'm so full, I will never be hungry again. But hunger is this kind of funny thing where no matter how full we get, it always comes back. It might take a day or two, but we always get hungry again. We've never been able to come up with some kind of pill or an injection where you just take it and then you're never hungry again. It always comes back. And today I want to talk to you about hunger. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus makes this outrageous claim. And he says that whoever comes to me will never hunger again. Whoever believes in me will never thirst again. It was just as outrageous then as it is now. But before I talk about that, I firstly want to talk about a story which is at the very beginning of John chapter 6. And it's a story that many of you will know really well. It's where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And it's a significant story because it's the only story which is actually mentioned in all four Gospels. All four Gospel writers mention this story. So we know that God wanted us to know about it. And this point in John's Gospel, Jesus has done a fair few healings and miracles. So Jesus was, people were starting to know about Jesus. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And um, it tells us in the Bible that Jesus went with his disciples up to the top of a mountainside. And a few years ago, I did the City to Surf. Is there any people who have done the City to Surf? I know there's a fair few runners here. Great. This is good. your time to get some street cred from people beside you. So I remember doing the City to Surf a little while ago, and I can still remember getting to the top of Heartbreak Hill. And I obviously wasn't even close to the top, the front, but I got to the top and I remember turning around and looking at the thousands of people still behind me. And it was just jam-packed from the very edge of the road to the other end of the road. It was just full of people coming up this hill. And when Jesus stands on the mountainside with his disciples, that was what it looked like when he looked back down. Because the Bible tells us that there were 5,000 men coming to hear what he had to say. But commentators say that, of course, that was just the men. So when you include the women and the children, there was 15, if not 20,000 people coming to see Jesus. So all these people are coming up the mountainside. And Jesus turns to his disciple, Philip. He says, Phil, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? 
Now put yourself in Philip's shoes. He either thinks that Jesus is joking or crazy. He's like, this is ridiculous, Jesus. There's no way that we're going to be able to feed all of these people. He says it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. I always think about those little Baker's Delight samples. I always want to just walk past and quickly grab one without buying anything. Philip's saying if we're going to even just give them a little sample, it would take half a year's wage. There's no way that we can feed all these people. But then another disciple, Andrew, pipes up. And he says, here is a boy with five small loaves of bread and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Now, I love that this wasn't just normal loaves of bread. They weren't just five loaves of bread. They were five small loaves of bread and two small fish. Even though my husband's a fisherman, I decided not to bring real fish. I just brought cans of tuna. But this little boy has got five small loaves of bread and two small fish. If this story would happen today, it would just be a little boy's lunchbox. It would be a ham and cheese sandwich with a banana and a packet of chips. This one little boy brings his food forward. So what happens? Well, Jesus told everyone to sit down. He took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So despite feeding 15,000 people, there were still 12 basket loads of bread and fish left over, one for each of the disciples. As one of my minister friends said, it shows that Christians have always overcated. So Jesus does this amazing miracle. He turns these five small loaves of bread and two small fish into food for 15,000 people. But Jesus doesn't just do this miracle to make sure that the people don't miss out on dinner. He doesn't do this just to fill up their stomach. Jesus has a much greater purpose in mind. He wants to teach them about hunger. He wants to teach them about something much deeper than physical hunger. He wants them to know that he is the answer to their spiritual hunger, that he's going to be able to feed the hunger of their soul. Now, Jesus had a bigger purpose, but these people were still thinking about food. So the very next day, Jesus has crossed over to the other side of the lake. Many of you remember the miracle where he walks on the water. Well, that's happened after this feeding of the 5,000. So he's on the other side. And the people want to follow him because they've just had some free food and they want some more. We all love free food, don't we? So the next day, they go to find Jesus. They're looking for more food. They remember the story of the Israelites when Moses gave them manna from heaven every single day continually giving them, them bread for, them, for their stomachs. So they think, oh, maybe this Jesus is like Moses. Maybe we can get some more food, some more bread. What they didn't realize is that, yes, Jesus was a new Moses, but he wasn't going to give them physical bread. He was going to give them something much greater. He was going to give them the bread of life. But Jesus knows their intentions. When they come to him, Jesus says to them, very truly I tell you, You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, 
but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He knows that they have missed the point. They're more focused on their stomachs instead of their souls. And we too can get distracted by the things that we want rather than the things that we need. We can get so distracted by the gifts that we forget about the giver. When we focus on Jesus as being useful rather than being precious. I remember a few years ago, I, um, I was going to an event quite late at night in a suburb I've never been to before, and I was driving around, and those were the days where, shock horror, we didn't have GPS on our phones, you didn't have Google Maps, we had to use this thing called a street directory, and so I, some of you will remember this classic thing where you're driving, you're trying to like look at the book laid out next to you, and you've highlighted and folded over things, and I'm trying to get to this event, I'm getting very flustered, and... Um, Nothing to do with the fact that I'm a female, I'm a fantastic driver, but I was getting very flustered going to this event, couldn't work out where to go, and then I suddenly realised that I needed to take a left at an intersection that I was at, and I was going really slowly, but I went around, and as I went around, I realised I'd gone straight through a red light, and in the back streets of this suburb of Sydney, there happened to be a cop behind me. So all of a sudden the lights go on and he pulls me over for going through a red light and my natural response was I just burst into tears, I started crying but he had no empathy and he just gave me the ticket straight away (laughs) and so you know I went off to my event and tried to pull myself together and a few months later the the fine for for going through the red light came in the mail and I'm reading through the fine, you know, went through a red light traffic violation. But as I got down to the actual penalty, I read that it said $78. And I thought, that's funny. I'm sure it's more than that. And it didn't have anything on there about demerit points. I thought, that's funny. And I googled up what it costs when you go through a red light. And it was much more expensive than that. I can't remember. At least, you know, over $250. Anyway, and then I read the letter again and it said, going through a red light as a cyclist. I've never paid a fine so quickly. I thought, I've just got to write this off, pay this $78 and hope that I never get fined out. This guy who I thought had no empathy had thought, okay, I'll just charge a $78 as a cyclist. So I got out of that one pretty good. But then come about six months later, I got pulled over again. But this time it was for speeding. And once again, my first reaction was just to bore my eyes out. Now, just a lesson for you all today, it never works. (laughs) Don't think that women get off it more because they cry. It's never worked for me. So once again, the cop handed me the fine. I went off to where I had to go crying again, thinking, why was I speeding? And so once again, the fine comes in the mail. Now, you can imagine my reaction. As I'm waiting for that fine to come, I'm praying. I'm like, come on, Lord, please waive this speeding fine. I know that you can do it. You've done it before. Do it again. I really can't afford to be paying this money, and my demerit points aren't looking that great at the moment. Please, Lord. But at that moment, I was acting just like the crowd that were following Jesus. They'd had their physical stomachs being fed, and they were coming back for more. I was far more focused on the gift rather than the giver. And what I didn't realize was that God was far more interested in shaping me. He wasn't a vending machine where I just needed to put in my money and I'd get out what I wanted. Some genie in a bottle that just kept waving all of my traffic violations so I never actually learned. (laughs) He didn't wave that traffic violation. I had to pay my money to the government. 
But he did teach me a lot about humility. He did teach me about following the laws of the land. He did remind me that he can give and take away, that he is the Lord of the universe. See, God had much more things in store than waving a traffic fine for me. And what he's saying to these people is, you want your stomach filled, but I'm here to fill up your soul. I want to be the answer to your spiritual hunger. I have much more in store for you than a quick fix. As Lindsay said, I'm just not a McDonald's drive through I have eternity in mind. What he says to them is, Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus wants to give us much more than relieving our physical hunger and thirst, much more than waving a speeding fine that we actually deserve. Jesus has our eternity in mind. He knows that the only thing that we can take into eternity is our relationship with him. So he wants to mold us and shape us and have a greater purpose and a story than a quick fix. He wants to meet our spiritual hunger, the hunger of our soul. Now, some of you will know my son, Hunter. And for any of you who know him, he is a lover of all things Thomas the Tank Engine. He's the greatest fan of Thomas. As you can see this photo, he's got the Thomas slippers, the Thomas shoes. My husband took him to the Springwood Foundation Day Festival yesterday, and he came back with a Thomas hat and a Thomas backpack and a Thomas ball, Thomas bath toys, Thomas bag, not even kidding. He had all of those items. He just loves Thomas. And so twice a year, they have this Thomas Festival on, you can see in the photo, and um, the New South Wales Steam Railway runs it, and they dress up all the trains to look like Thomas characters, they have the fat controller there, and basically, it's a Thomas fan dream. It's like heaven on earth if you love Thomas. And so I thought, I'm going to take Hunter to this Thomas Festival. It's going to blow his mind. So we planned, we bought the tickets. And it's about an hour's drive from where we live. So the day finally came for the Thomas Festival. I was probably even more excited than Hunter. And we're driving there. And about five minutes before we got to the festival, we stopped at some traffic lights. And Hunter looks out the window and he can see a park. And he's saying to me, park, mummy, park. He's been sitting in the car for over 50 minutes. So he wants to get out and play. Park. And I'm saying, oh, Hunter, we're only five minutes away. You're going to love today. You've just got to be patient. We can't go to the park. So he gets all upset and he's crying. He's like, mummy, park. I want to go to the park. And I'm sitting in the front of the car and I'm going, Hunter, you have no idea that we're five minutes away from all your dreams coming true. We are five minutes away from your entire life being transformed when you see Thomas face to face. You are just about to have your mind blown and you're crying about a park and it wasn't even a good park it was just a set of swings and a normal slippery dip and the thing is that so often all we can see is the park out the window we're strapped in the car seat thinking I've been in this season for a while and I just want to get out God I just want you to answer my prayer But God has the bigger perspective. He knows what's just around the corner. I mean, I love Lindsay's story today because in that season, you don't know what's ahead. But God does. I remember when um, the media was sharing all the stories about 
the cave rescue and how um, the boys from the soccer team in Thailand had to get rescued from the cave. And, and one of the cave divers talked about what it was like when he had to bring out one of the boys. And basically they had the boys strapped to them and they had to climb through the cave for a good seven to nine hours. And he said that in many parts of the cave rescue, as he was climbing through, you could only see about 30 centimetres in front of you, that the rest was darkness. That's all you could see. And so we just had to keep climbing through with that amount of visibility. And I was thinking that for some of us, it feels like that's where we're at in life, that we are surrounded by darkness. We're in a cave. All we can see is this far ahead. But we need to remember that God has a bird's eye view, that he brings light into the darkness, that he knows rescue is on the way. He knows that very soon we'll be out in the open, out in the wide open space, out in the light. And so he's calling us to continue, to press on, to keep going, to get through the cave. He's saying to this crowd, you're after being filled up to fill up your tummies. You're after the temporary and the the quick fix. But I have all of eternity in view. And I'm shaping your soul to become more like Christ and united to me. This week, I listened to an interview with Stephen Furtick and T.D. Jakes. It was an interview that, um, about preaching, actually, that Ben had sent to a few of us. And it was a great video, but it gave a little bit of a backstory to T.D. Jakes. And I never really knew his story. As many of you know, he's the pastor of a mega church. He's a really successful author and filmmaker. He has three million followers on Instagram and the blue tick, so you know he's legit. But it hasn't always been like that for T.D. Jakes. He used to be the pastor of a very small church. He used to have to do another job in order to provide for his family. But then conditions changed and he lost that job and they repossessed his car. He said that he had to use a car that was loaned by the church. And he said the car was so bad that whenever guests came over to the church, they would always park it out the back because they didn't want anyone to know that that was the pastor's car. That in fact, the the floor was so bad, there were so many holes in it that he had to cut out carpet and put it underneath his children's feet so they wouldn't fall through the floor. He tells the story of actually going with his family one night to go and pick apples because they didn't have anything else to eat for dinner. Now, T.D. Jakes could have stopped serving God at that time. He could have said, you're not answering my prayer. It doesn't feel like you're here. But T.D. Jakes continued to serve. Because while God wasn't filling up his physical hunger, he was filling up his soul. God knew what was ahead. T.D. Jakes in that moment had no idea. He didn't know where God was or what he was doing or that he was going to actually make him the pastor of 20,000 people. But God knew. And in that moment, he was shaping him and preparing him for what was ahead in his future. T.D. Jakes is now, as I said, the pastor of a mega church. And I was looking it up, and his church, they actually bought a $45 million building and paid it off in four years. This is the guy who had to pick apples for his family for dinner, who had a car with holes in the floor. Now, not all of us are going to have a rags-to-riches story. In fact, Jesus had the opposite. He had a riches-to-rags story as he went from heaven to be born in a manger. But all of us who are called by God are going to have a story of lost to found, of abandoned to adopted, of incomplete to whole, of broken to filled up, of hungry to full. That's going to be the testimony of all of us. So when we're surrounded by the darkness, when it feels like God isn't answering our prayer, 
When he's saying no and we want it to be yes, just remember that God may be withholding what your wants to fill up your needs. That he has all of eternity in view. He's not a God of the quick fix. So Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So how does this crowd respond? Well, they say to us, sir, always give us this bread. They want what he has to offer. And then Jesus made this powerful declaration and promise. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, before I go into this statement, I want you to understand two things about the context that this community that Jesus is speaking to lived in. And the first thing is that their staple food was bread. Now, if I was to ask every single one of you, what was your, what's your staple food? There would probably be a hundred different answers of what your staple food is. If you were to ask my son what his staple food was last weekend over Easter, he'd probably say chocolate. But for all of us, we have so many, such a diversity of choices. We have so many different choices available to us. I mean, even when you go to buy a loaf of bread, there's so many different options. There's white and wholemeal and multigrain and seven seed and four seed and sunflower seed and soy and linseed. There's so many different options. But if you were to ask millions of people around the world today what their staple food is, it's rice. In fact, where the church, where the city church mission um, team has gone over to mission in the Philippines, their staple food is rice. They're probably eating a lot of rice. And although it's mixed with vegetables and fish and different options, most of the time, most days, they would be eating rice. Now, if you were to ask the people that Jesus is speaking to, what was their staple food, they would answer that it is bread. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, They know what that means. They know that Jesus is saying, I am your everything. I'm not just a Sunday morning. I'm not just something when you're feeling in trouble. I am your life. I am your sustenance. And for them, if the crops didn't go well that year, if they didn't have any bread, they would die. For us, if we have a drought like we do now or if something happens to our food because of an outbreak, Unless the media reports about it, we really, it doesn't really affect us. We don't really find out anything out. We just ship in the food from somewhere else around the world. But for them, if it was a bad season and the crops didn't deliver, they would die. They would have no food. So the power of what Jesus says has, is a lot more powerful for them. Now, the second thing is that they knew where their food came from. Once again, if you were to ask my three-year-old son, I should have got him up and done the test of this. Where, if I was to ask Hunter where food comes from, he'd probably say the fridge or maybe Coles and Woolworths or Woolworths. He doesn't really understand where food comes from. But the group that Jesus is speaking to knew where food came from. They knew that fish had to be caught from the sea and that beef had to come from a cow that was slaughtered, that bread had to come from a grain of wheat. And they knew that every single piece of food that they ate, something had to die for that food to come. The fish had to be pulled from the ocean. The cow had to be killed. The grain of wheat had to dry out and die to be made into bread. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, they knew that there had to be a cost. 
that something had to die. So within that context, Jesus makes this promise. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And we all know that he's not talking about physical hunger. These people would get hungry again, and so will we. But he's talking about the hunger of our souls. And this is a pretty powerful promise. And since I've read this promise, I've been noticing that everywhere you look, there are promises. There's the Colgate ad, which promises to give you whiter teeth if you use their toothpaste. There's a protein bar, which promises to make you skinnier if you eat it every day. But increasingly, the media is also using promises about the deeper things of our life. There's an ad on at the moment by Nike, which features Serena Williams. And um, I'll read it to you. They say, if, you think, if, if they think your dreams are crazy, show them what crazy dreams can do. Just do it. And I actually love this ad. It's a great ad. It kind of says, you know, if you've got dreams and people are speaking you down, then you've just got to pursue them no matter how crazy they are. I love it. I love that, you know, you've got to just go for it. And I love a little bit of girl power as well. I love Serena Williams that she's come back after having a baby and she's still killing it. But inherent in this is this promise that we're going to help you achieve your crazy dreams. No matter what your dream is, the Nike's on there long there with you. And we've got to remember who's making this promise. It's a shoe company. They glue rubber soles to cotton tops of shoes and put shoelaces through them in factories all around the world. They can't help you achieve your crazy dreams. The best they can do is give you a little bit of padding when you go for a run around your feet. They don't have any power or authority. They don't affect the economy. They can't help your business to grow. They can't even really help you run that much faster. They're just a shoe. But they try and make a promise to fulfill the hunger of our souls because they want to sell more shoes. They want to make more profit. Even our friends, I'm sure that all of you have great friends who are great at encouraging you in your dreams, who are great at listening to your problems. But even us as people, we don't have any power to actually transform someone's situation. I can listen to a friend and I can encourage them, but I can't actually help them. I can't make that guy that they have a crush on fall in love with them. I can't really help their business triple in profit, even if I bought a lot of their products as a sign of camaraderie. See, even as people, we're limited in our ability. But Jesus is the one who the Bible tells us all of creation was made through, that he was there at the very beginning. It tells us in the gospel that Jesus turned water into wine, that he walked across the water, that he fed the 5,000, that he healed the blind and the lame and the cripple, that he rose the little girl from the dead. And as we celebrated last weekend, that Jesus himself went to the cross and died for our sins and three days later rose again, that he defeated death and evil and Satan once and for all. So when Jesus makes a promise... We can believe him at his word. We can build our life on that promise because he has authority and power over everything. So when he says, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never hunger, whoever believes in me will never thirst, then we can believe him. We can trust him because he has the power to follow through with his promise. And it's hard in our English translation, but when you go back to the original text of this verse, What it actually says is, whoever comes to me will never, ever, ever hunger. Whoever believes in me will never, ever, 
ever thirst. That word is as strong as it can be. Jesus wants us to know that when we come to him, we will never be hungry again. Jesus is the end of the search. Some of you may have watched that film, Eat, Pray, Love, with Julia, kind of, Julia Roberts. Had a brain freeze then of what her name was. And it's all about this woman's quest to find meaning in her life. She goes to Italy and eats heaps of pasta and goes to India and sees all these religious people. And then she finally finds love in Indonesia. And that's meant to be the fulfillment of her quest. But as I watched that movie, I just kept thinking, Julia, you need Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is the only one who's going to fulfill that quest. And if you think that man, no matter how good looking he is, is going to fulfill the deep hunger in your soul, it's not going to end well. Because no human can feed that hunger that we have. No human can fill up the hunger of our souls and our spiritual needs. Only Jesus can do that. He is the end of the search. My hunch is that there are many of us here who know what it is to believe in Jesus. See, how do we receive this bread? How do we receive the bread of life and respond to what Jesus has offered? Well, the people that he was speaking to, they were focused on what they needed to achieve. They asked him, what must we do? What must we do to do the works God requires? They were focused on the work. How did they need to achieve? What did they need to do? But Jesus wants them to know it's not what what you achieve. It's what you believe. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he is sent. It's simple. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Jesus calls us to come and believe. It's not about our works. It's not about what we've achieved. God has already done that for us. Jesus has gone to the cross for us. We just need to come and believe. And I know that there are so many of us here today who have come and believed, who remember that moment where you surrendered to God and through the many seasons that we've been through, the highs and the lows, the cave and the mountain tops, the valleys, the darkness and the light. We might have been hungry and thirsty. We might have been full and complete. But the deep hunger within us has always been satisfied because we have Jesus within our soul. But my hunch is there's some of us here today who have never made that decision, who have never come to Jesus and never believed, who have been searching, wondering what their bigger purpose was in life, knowing that there has to be a bigger story, that their life has to be more than just going to work and coming home that there is a bigger story that God has written that he's calling them to be a part of, calling you to be a part of. So Jesus is offering an invitation to you here this morning to come and believe, to taste and see. Perhaps some of you have come to Jesus in the past, but you've been feeding on all the wrong things. You've been believing all the wrong promises. You haven't been going to Jesus. You've been going to everything else but him. And today he's calling you back. He's gently saying, come back and believe in me so I can fill you again. I can be the food for your soul. I can meet your deepest hunger. So today I want you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to pray, thank you, Father, that Jesus is the bread of life. 
I thank you, Lord God, that just as the grain of wheat had to be crushed and broken to make bread, so you too, Jesus, had to be crushed and broken to be our bread of life. So, Lord God, today we want to commit ourselves to you. And, Father, I pray that you'd be moving in our hearts right now. And if there is anyone in this room today with your eyes closed and your head bowed, where you have decided that you want to make a decision today to come to Jesus, to feed on the bread of life, to come and believe, to never be hungry again, to never thirst again, to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm sick of searching, I'm sick of wondering, then raise your hand now. Raise your hand as an outward expression of a transformation inside your heart to make a decision that I want Jesus to come and live within my soul. I want him to fill me up in a way that I've been unable to do for myself. And now let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the bread of life. Thank you that when I come to you, I will never hunger. And when I believe in you, I will never thirst. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.